Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It's time for Thriller Thursdays here on the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance. The Case of the North Pole Gang, Part 2 The name's Dixon. Trixie Dixon, girl detective. In the event I do not survive this Christmas, please forward this message to my mother and also possibly the Smithsonian. For this is a matter of utmost, possibly historic importance. It shall commemorate the moment when, as one people, we rose together in opposition to our cruel Christmas overlords and their enforced holly-jollying. The moment in which we reclaimed the entire month of December and that little bit at the tail end of November that nobody really knows what to do with, from the forced bonhomie that we have endured for too long. Once again, my brothers and sisters, let us have drinks and make questionable moral decisions and listen to hot jazz music in places that our mothers would not wish to know that we are aware of, much less frequent. For the love of whatever saint governs wayward lady detectives, shall we not choose to be self-involved and slightly immoral twelve months of the year, rather than the paltry eleven to which we have been bound by harsh tradition and wholesome merriment? I say thee, yea. Forgive me. I have been passing as a joyful elf at Santa's workshop in Zwinski's department store downtown for eight days now, chasing a phantom conspiracy amongst the seasonal staff, and I do not think that I am going to make it. I had been placed in deep cover amongst the highly suspect temporary staff members in the highest profile, lowest appeal of all the holiday jobs. My days were spent ferrying an endless human chain of the city's youth, from the loving yet extremely pushy hands of their parents to the lap of an elderly bohemian gentleman whose name is apparently Ray Ray. Oh, he was one of Santa's many helpers, and as such was indistinguishable from the real thing in the eyes of my young charges. But in reality, what passed for the impish gleam in his eyes was really a manifestation of how much more desperate he grew by the day to remove the many jingle bells from my department-issued elf apparel, one by one, possibly with his teeth. He had not said as much in so many words, but an elf can tell. An elf can tell. It was only a matter of time before he made his play, and I lived in a cyclone of mounting internal dread in anticipation of the exchange. The store brass were extremely pleased with the performance of the entire North Pole unit, as visits to Santa were up 36% year over year. They had a complex formula which extrapolated dollars in potential sales based on number of Santa visits hourly, and they believed in it very strongly from what I could gather. 
I think when they sifted through the sales data for this holiday season, they would find it less accurate than in previous years because as the days crawled by, I had become keenly aware of the astonishing number of male parents making multiple visits, often in the same day, with increasingly confused children in tow. Why would they choose to do such a thing? An elf knows, my friends. An elf knows. The brightly lit trees, the fake snowmen, the childlike innocence, none of it can hide the sensation of being constantly quietly considered in increasingly inappropriate manners by an endless parade of middle-class father types. None of them were acting on their impulses. Not a word had been spoken, not a hand had been laid. But I felt like I was in a deeply frustrated zoo. And as much as I enjoy being the center of attention now and then, there are limits. The supervisor, Mr. Roundtree, was a quiet, churchy type who seemed to radiate a wholesome manner. He was the only staffer who was aware that I was a plant, and he disapproved of me deeply. Not just because I was there to investigate his hand-picked staff for an unspecified threat, but because he simply did not think that a woman of my dimensions belonged at the North Pole. The girls he hired to play the role of elves were uniformly built like teenage boys, which suggested any number of personal peccadilloes about which I did not inquire too keenly, because they were none of my business, and I did not care. But even Roundtree would have to admit that I wore the outfit magnificently. If I were a harried suburban dad, I would stare longingly at me, too. The long and the short of it is that I was not enjoying this case in the slightest. The lecherous Kringle the judgy boss, the oppressive cloud of repressed lust, and the repetitive task of making soothing noises to small children as I brought them to a stranger who they were both terrified to meet and even more terrified to not speak to in case Christmas should be well and truly ruined before it even got going. And if that were not enough, the daily report to our real supervisor, the store detective Wally Beether, who was more certain with every passing day that there was some kind of conspiracy amongst the seasonal staff, a notion which had been reinforced by whispers among the suspicious full-timers. The deputy head of menswear, the first assistant in home decor, the assistant supervisor of housewares, the head clerk from sporting goods, trusted long-term employees all and apparently had heard rumblings of such a cabal and had no proof to impart nor leads to offer. Wally was starting to get a little frustrated with our failure to close the books on this hallucination, and I could feel our rarest flush of December's quivering the first of its death throes. All of these were excellent reasons to deeply hate everything that I was doing. What made it worse, of course, was the fact that Jack was enjoying himself immensely. On his first day, while driving his mop like a good little troll, he had happened across the staff cafe, deep in the underbelly of Zwinski's and entirely deserted, save for one ancient staffer who manned both the pot and the register. Jack had started mopping, and of course he volunteered to clean the massive brass espresso machine that had clearly sat untouched for years. The staffer, a wizened old crone named Trudy, had been a reluctant student, and before long it was Jack who was slinging cafe lattes and cappuccinos while Trudy worked the register. Two days later she stopped coming in at all, and it seemed unlikely that anyone had noticed. Certainly not Jack, who now wore a crisp white shirt and necktie to work, and cheerfully served the masses of staff who had already come to refer to the windowless coffee hutch as Jack's place.
See, thing is, Trixie, he told me as a great cloud of steam escaped from the whistling, gleaming machine. The beans are from Malik's. Malik's? I couldn't believe my eyes. And do you know what Trudy was doing to them? Dunking them in lukewarm tap water and serving them to an unsuspecting public, I offered robotically. Yes, Jack beamed. Yes, wait, have I told you this before? Only a hundred times, Jack, for Pete's sake, I said exasperated. Morning, Jack, a voice called happily. Morning, Jack, sang another. Good morning, Jack, a third one practically purred. Morning, Cyril, Vicky, Anna, the usual, just find a seat and I'll find you. There were happy staffers at every table, each with a little cup of Jack's magic beans cradled in their hands. Jack had his shirt sleeves rolled up and was whistling cheerfully to himself as he worked. He was busy, industrious, and content. I had to put a stop to this and fast. Jack? What about the case? I said as quietly as I could and still be heard over the frothing of milk. The what? Jack seemed legitimately lost for an instant. Oh, right, that, he said, nodding all at once. How is that going? Jack, I protested. What? he said with a mildly apologetic shrug. What do you think our supervisor is going to think of all this? I told you, he said seriously, I'm sure Trudy will be back in a few days. Not Trudy, I said through gritted teeth. The nice man who gave you the mop? I mouthed W-A-L-L-Y in a not very subtle fashion. Oh right, Wally, Jack said, and I fought the urge to slap my palm against my forehead. He loves it. Takes an ole with cinnamon. Jack, I protested. Look at it from his point of view, Jack said, carrying a tray of cups onto the floor. Here I see everybody, and I hear everything. Everybody comes to Jack's. Everybody comes to Jack's, I muttered to myself, shaking my head just enough to make my jingle bells chime, and no, I did not mean that to sound as appealing as I'm sure it did. Pervert. There was more that needed to be said, like the fact that my elf-related ennui was crushing my soul, and that maybe it was time to tell Wally Beether that he was a deluded lunatic and not at all under siege, in spite of what anyone from menswear had to say on the subject. But Jack was making the rounds of his demented playhouse cafe, and experience had taught me that this was not a process he was prepared to rush. It was getting perilously close to opening bell, and I had no wish to begin my day at the North Pole by being berated by Mr. Roundtree. So I beat a hasty retreat, determined that this would be the final day of this twisted harlequinade. There was no official coffee break in the North Pole, because Ray Ray could hold his water longer than a camel, and as long as he was good to go, the endless line of children never needed to stop. In this regard, he was an excellent helper for Santa, I supposed. But if I couldn't get back to the employee coffee room, I would have no chance to talk sense to the happy housewife who currently ruled the roost there. So at twelve minutes after eleven, I slipped away with the promise of bringing the entire crew of elves a paper cup full of go-juice from Jack's. Roundtree included. This gave me a narrow window of time. Jack's place was between break-time rushes, which meant that the proprietor was lovingly caressing his big brass phallic symbol under the guise of cleaning it. He looked as content as I had ever seen him in his life. And it infuriated me. Get a room, I said as I settled in at the counter, my list of orders in hand. Oh, we have one, Jack said, not looking up from the gleaming brass of the espresso maker. What can I get you? Jack, it's me. I'm not here for stupid coffee. I'm here to talk. 
and yet you have a list of coffee orders in your hand, he said, with a zen-like aura of peace and harmony surrounding him. I handed him the list, and he set to work. On the far side of the seating area, four men sat hunched, talking low with an occasional backward glance that barely seemed to involve undressing me with their eyes at all. Who are those guys? I asked Jack over my shoulder. Jack snorted. Those guys? Only people in the store that miss Trudy, I guess. They rescheduled their break for the one time it's always this dead, and then they make tracks as soon as the place fills up again. I stared at him in astonishment. Did you just screw up in reverse? Again? Can't hear you. Steaming, he replied. Jack, I protested in a stage whisper. That looks like an actual conspiracy at work. Jack shrugged. They aren't seasonal staff tricks. In fact, I think they're all long-term and then some. Oh, I said, deflated after a moment of excitement of doing detective work instead of... Elfing. Jack kept talking even though no one was really listening. Tom is menswear, Lyle is home decor, I don't remember the guy from housewares names, and Kenny is from sporting goods. I went back to being gobsmacked. The deputy clerk of sporting goods, I asked? Yeah, I think so, Jack replied, grinding beans and smiling like a Buddha. Jack, don't you see? These are the guys that have been putting poison in Wally Beather's ear about the seasonal staff. It's all a ruse. The whole conspiracy, it's the long-term staff. Can't hear you. Grinding, Jack replied. I looked over at the small group of company men. What could they be plotting? One thing is for sure, I was never going to find out in the fresh meat display case that was the North Pole. Hi, I said, sitting down at the table with menswear, home decor, houseware, and sporting goods. I'm sorry, honey, menswear said. This is a private conversation. So blow, decor said, in a tone of voice that suggested he was not one to be swayed by my obvious elfin charms. I know what you're doing, I lied. There was silence at the table. Relax, I said. I want in. There was a murmur that sounded like laughter, but wasn't quite. We don't know what you're talking about, Sporting Goods said with a shake of his head. Oh, really? I offered. You know what they know? You all know the same thing? Makes for some pretty boring conspiracies. Nobody knows anything about any conspiracies, Sporting Goods said, doubling down. I say you do, I said with a toss of my jingle hat, and I say you've got management all excited about the seasonal folks up to no good. But it isn't them. It's you. There was a charged moment. We have nothing against the seasonals, young lady, Decor said gravely. I do, Houseware croaked. You roll in here every year, taking hours away from the people who work all year, every year, day in, day out, and then you get handed a fat bonus on Christmas Eve. It isn't right. Sure, I said. They want people with no job security to work like dogs until they're done with them so they can throw them away, but sure. You can call that a bonus. It isn't right, Houseware repeated. So that's it? That's what you're after? It's the payroll? The bonus? What else? Houseware agreed over the protests of the others. Relax. I told you. I'm in, I said. How can I help? Your order is ready, miss. The standard bearer of law and order said from behind me, wiping his hands on his apron. The good news is that it was neat as a pin. The bad news is that it still didn't make a lot of sense. What they wanted from their new partner was access to a great big empty space after store hours on Friday, and I offered up the North Pole on a silver platter, much to their collective delight. Friday was a payday, but it wasn't 
THE payday. The day when all of the seasonal staff was paid out a bonus for completing their assignments, so I didn't quite see what they were going to pull exactly, but it was hard to quiz them given my outrageous lies regarding prior knowledge. The bad news was that we had to finish out the week in our current roles, but I could see the light at the end of the tunnel now, and even Mr. Roundtree was pleased by the improvement in my disposition. By Friday, he was only too glad to leave me the keys to the North Pole and instructions to lock it up tight. I would do so, but with a little surprise locked in Ray Ray's change room until the precise moment, in the form of a downcast Wally Beether. I can't believe it was the full-time staff all along, he said, but you two caught them in the act at least. Or were about to, anyway, I agreed. We'll let you out as soon as they start breaking the law. Jack just shrugged and locked Wally in before Brutus and the conspirators arrived. And arrived they did. Not just the man we called menswear, but the whole department. And all of sporting goods was next, and others that we hadn't even guessed at. Dozens of them. Decor himself came up to apologize. I never thought a couple seasonals would make this possible, he said. Thank you both. You'll both have a chance to sign a card, and we'll bring the seasonals in for negotiations. Nobody will lose a bonus over this. Sounds great, I said as he faded into the enthusiastic crowd that was assembling before Santa's workshop ready to listen to a speech by menswear and the others. Jack, I asked calmly, is this the union meeting? Oh yeah, Jack agreed calmly. This was the whole conspiracy, wasn't it? Unionizing Zwinskis right before Christmas? Yep, Jack nodded. Should we let Wally out? I asked. Jack shrugged. He couldn't stop it now and nobody is breaking any laws. We stood for a moment and watched organized labor in action. Everyone seemed to be having a nice time. Well, two weeks pay is not a bad December, I said with another shrug. Jack nodded. About that. Human Resources wants me to train my replacement next week. They're pretty attached to Jack's place. You're taking time off for that stupid coffee shop? I was astonished, but somehow also not surprised. No time off, he shook his head. I'm getting our regular rate. No union in the world can negotiate a triple cinnamon latte like Helen from HR likes it, so we're flusher than flush. But you'll need to manage without me for a week. I almost wept with joy, and all of my various jingle bells chimed together. And God bless us, every one, I said. The Casebook of Justice and Dixon, number three, The Case of the North Pole Gang, was written by Greg Taylor, read by Andrea Lyons and Greg Taylor, and presented by Decoder Ring Theater. Decoder Ring Theater Season 16 is powered by Patreon. If you would like to support the creation of new Justice and Dixon material, please visit patreon.com slash g-r-e-g-g-t-a-y-l-o-r, or look for the links in the show page. I thank you. Thank you for listening to Thursday Thrillers right here on the Mutual Audio Network. Please consider subscribing to other days of the Mutual Feeds, including Monday Matinee for classic live and theatrical audio plays, Tuesday Terrors for horror audio drama, Wednesday Wonders, our science fiction and fantasy magazine, Friday Follies, our end-of-the-week comedy series, Saturday Story Circle for kids and families alike, and Sunday Showcase bringing you the very newest in audio releases from our United Artists of Audio right here on the Mutual Audio Network.
the Mutual Audio Network. Listening and imagining together. <laughs>